Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. I'm Christy Brower here with my sister, co-host and partner in crime, Katie Weaver. Hey, Katie. Hello. How's it going? I'm well. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. We have a lot going on today, but we managed to make it happen. We did. If you're wondering why we're showing up now, you might not have heard us on yesterday's show. Well, I guess the show that came out last night, say we were going to be an hour late today. Yeah. We've been watching softball. It's softball season, you guys. Yep. It may screw with our schedule just a little bit, but we are hardcore softball aunt and softball mom, right? Yeah. I mean, we love you guys and all, but softball. <laughs> Dude, softball. And even now, I, you know, I'm still cold and I've been home for an hour. Me too. <laughs> My legs are, I'm like, when this show's over, I'm going to bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it got pretty chilly because it was a doubleheader. Yeah. But it was fun. It was awesome. Yep. And it started out sunny and nice. In fact, I'm realizing uh, I need to remember that it's really is, you know, the sun is shining mm-hmm. now and I better get some uh, sunblock on because I can tell already yeah. that I am, uh, I got a little burned today. So, and it seems mm-hmm. like every year I have to get a burn once to remember, oh Yeah. Right? The sun is shining. You have to think about these things. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, yep, it was great. They lost the first game, but won the second game by a run rule, which means they kicked butt and took names. Yeah. So, we'll they take did. it. She played really well both games. My my she daughter, did. I'm very happy with her. Yeah. You know, really. I have nothing to complain about. Yeah. The girls did great. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very fun. Well, you know what? This is our Wednesday night update live and glad to see y'all showing up here in the chat. I know you were sort of wondering, like, when when are you guys going to show up? So welcome, Innocuous, Moonbeam, Kate, RJ, Patsy, Sharon. Really appreciate you being here. And this is our case update show. So we like to share some updates. Hey, Carly, um, about cases that we are covering or other cases that we're not that are interesting. So let's talk first about a couple of things happening in the Daybell Vallo case, which of course is actually the murder of JJ Vallo and Tylee Ryan and their mother, Lori Vallo and her mm-hmm. husband, Chad Daybell are currently sitting in prison, jail, awaiting trial. Yeah. There's lots and lots of stuff happening here. Hey, Tamara. Um, you know, lots of court shenanigans happening, but a weird, weird thing has occurred. Yeah. Do you want to talk? You want to tell us about it, Katie? Well, so last week, they both of the defense attorneys filed these ex parte uh, restraining orders with the court. Yeah. And so it's all very secretive stuff because basically, what we are gathering that means is they have filed a petition with the court. So what an ex parte restraining order is, is that you are asking the court to seal a certain piece of information from being released to the public or the press because it could endanger someone's safety. Yeah. So it appears as though they actually filed those uh, to prevent the prosecutor from seeing something. Which is very strange. And so we don't know whose safety they're trying to protect. We're assuming it's their own because these two don't do things for other people. You know, we're talking about two of the most selfish humans on the planet of Earth. So it's hard for me to imagine who else they would be protecting besides themselves. 
However, uh, filing something to uh, try to prevent the prosecutor from prosecuting you <laughs> seems very strange. Yeah. So no one knows what it is. Nobody knows it's a big secretive thing. And so we're just, everyone's just kind of waiting to, to see. see what happens. In the meantime, they have scheduled court for April 7th, but the uh, nature of that uh, event is also redacted. Yeah, so, so we have no idea what the hearing is actually about. Yeah. And yeah, we have been very strange things afoot. Yeah. And we like to follow Scott Reich, who does crime talk, if you guys aren't mm -hmm. familiar, because he's an attorney and he talks about this case a lot. So if there's ever something we don't understand, we go see what he yeah. has to say. He doesn't have a freaking clue what's going on either. He said this is unprecedented, that this is just not something that happens in a criminal trial. No. So, well, only the prosecutor, occasionally a prosecutor will file an ex parte to right. protect a witness. Yeah. You know, some piece of information a witness wants to share or is going to share to protect their safety. But for the defense attorneys to, for the defense at all to be filing these against the prosecutor, it seems as though it's just shenanigans. I mean, these guys mm -hmm. have tried to pull a lot of time-wasting bullshit, you know, yeah. because, you know, it just makes it look more and more like they really don't have a case, you know. They don't seem to be really uh, putting together strong defenses while they're busy, you know, trying to throw out the prosecutor for something stupid, you know, yeah. constantly fighting the courts on stupid things, hiring wit or uh, professional uh, witnesses that aren't actual professionals in the field. I mean, there's a lot of stupid stuff that's happened. We suspect this is just more of the same, you know, that mm -hmm. this is just uh, another layer of stupid bullshit that they're trying to see. It's like they just keep throwing a noodle noodles at the wall to see what's going to stick. And right. so far, nothing. So we right, yeah, because it's you know, there's been all this stuff lately. What they've been in court about are the surveys that were done in regards to jury selection, and you know, can they move the case out of this county? You know, and then yeah. the other thing that's happened recently is that Tammy Daybell's autopsy is finally complete and has not been released. Yeah. Because it is a part of an active criminal investigation. Mm -hmm. Now, they have not been charged for Tammy's case. And what they're in jail for right now doesn't have anything to do with that. However, mm -hmm. some people question if it has something to do with that. Or if it has something to do with the survey. Or if it has something to do with some other stupid thing altogether. You know, Summer uh, uh, Cox. Shiflet. Um, Shiflet, Yeah. Um, Lori Daybell's sister was subpoenaed right before all of this happened. Mm -hmm. And so no, no, we no, don't know. No, Chad Daybell's sister-in-law, Heather. Oh, Heather oh, Daybell. Right, Heather. Oh, my God, there's so many of them. Okay, Heather Daybell, his sister-in-law, had been subpoenaed because of a letter that she sent, an email that she sent, happened right before all of this. And so is it related to her, the survey, the autopsy, something else? We're not sure. So we're just going to keep our eyes on it and yep. keep reporting about it. But who the hell knows what this is? <laughs> yeah. Now we will float yeah. a theory mm -hmm. because there is an interesting detail about Chad's house and about the yes. way we presume these attorneys are being paid or what they're holding on to, to pay themselves with because Chad's house on the deed 
is Tammy Daybell, who, as we know, has been dead now for over a year. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Pryor, John, John Pryor. Yeah, Chad's attorney. Yeah. Those are the two names on the deed. So Chad got somewhere around $425,000 in life insurance for Tammy's death. Right. We conjecture that if the prosecutor comes back and charges Chad in the death of Tammy, that the life insurance is going to come calling, wanting their money back. And right. if they do that, then we wonder then if they will stick a lien on that house. And if they do that, yeah. will that uh, remove the cash cow that, uh, you know, the thing that's, basically uh, securing payment for both of the defendants for their attorneys. It's yeah, a really we, interesting twist here because of the is. potential of murder charges for Tammy. So right. we don't know if that has anything to do with what's happening here. We're very curious about it and curious about the fact that that's who's on the deed. And, yeah. and it's really still on the deed on this that. long after she died. I, it's, mm -hmm. But we do see, you know, uh, clearly that house has been put up as a retainer. Yeah. For at least for prior services. Yeah. We're not sure about means. But, yeah, very interesting. Because, yeah, mm -hmm. could they be trying to protect themselves there so that they don't lose yeah. the only asset they have left yeah. to pay for their defense? Yep. Who knows, you guys? This is the weirdest case ever. But if that's uh, the case, that's of crap. quite the strange conflict of interest. Uh, or maybe it isn't. But for prior. And that he has something to lose here. Right. I know. And, you know, I think it's fairly common uh, in a case situation like this where it's going to be a huge legal bill to put up a house. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I, I don't think that's unusual, but that's not unusual. But then the defendant who's charged with something else, then getting charged in the murder of the person, the other person on the deed, the other yeah. person on the deed who he received all the life insurance for. That's a little more unusual. Definitely. We're just floating theories, guys. We don't know, but those yeah. are some things that have been floating around in our heads. So oh, I think it's very we'll worth see. saying. I haven't heard anybody else say it either, but I mm -hmm. do feel like it is very worth saying that maybe that's what this is all about. So yeah. we will keep our finger on the pulse of the situation as always and let you yeah. know as soon as we hear more. Yep. Let's move on. Katie's got a DNA for the win case for us. Yes. That is really quite the story. So yes, it tell is. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So this is a very old case. This is a pregnant teenager who was found at the bottom of a well in Pennsylvania at a Pennsylvania distillery. And so she disappeared in mid-80s, and she was found on January 24th, 1988. Mm. And apparently this is an abandoned distillery, and a passerby was walking through there and poking around and discovered uh, a body that had been disposed of in a well. I'm not sure how that all works. That seems so odd to me, but... Who knows what the passerby was doing? I'm a little curious about that. But right. anyway. Their head down a well. That's weird. Right. So at the time, they believed that the body was a woman that was somewhere between 17 and 23. And she was also six months pregnant. 
So those remains have just been in storage for a long time. And then in, so she was missing for three years. So she went missing in 1985. And then in 1988, these remains were found, but they didn't know who this person, they didn't know who they belonged to. For some reason, her name came off of the missing persons database about Mm. three years after she disappeared. And so it created this uh, incongruity between them being able to match her up with a missing person because she wasn't on the database. Right. That we're not sure why that seems to have been some kind of a mistake. Mm -hmm. So, Anyway, in 1994, investigators developed a forensic sculpture of her face. And that's all we've had until 2007. They extracted some skeletal remains, some DNA from the skeletal remains, and they put the evidence in CODIS. You know, that's the national database. And... Then again, in 2017, they went back and got more evidence from the fetal bones. They actually had fetal bones. Wow. So, at any rate, Bode Technology also extracted DNA. They did genome sequencing, and a team of DNA genealogists built a family tree. You know, they build like the family tree and the reverse family tree, and they were finally able to identify her. Wow. So it's pretty exciting on that front that her family now finally has an answer because she just vanished way back when. So her name is Lisa Todd. So Lisa Todd, again, was six months pregnant. They do believe that she was murdered. They don't understand yet. Uh, They don't really know what happened to her, but they are actually still investigating it especially now because they have dna from the fetal bones and so now they're trying to figure out who the father was and you know gather more information that way and you know maybe at some point they'll actually solve this crime but they were at least able to through familial and and uh, generational dna they were able to at least identify her so anyway lots of love to lisa's family i'm sure that was a huge shock as well as in some way a relief to actually finally get an answer. Right. right. So she disappeared in 85 guys and they just wow. barely identified her. Well, and to be able to now use DNA and create a sculpture of what someone yeah. would look like is crazy. Yeah. Crazy cool. Yeah. I want to say, because um, Bianca gave us a heads up, I'm going to talk about another serial killer that died, or this is a mass murderer, but uh, Ron DeFeo died. So Ron DeFeo is the man who his crimes were the inspiration for the Amityville horror. So this was in Amityville, Long Island. And in 1974, he killed his father, mother, two brothers, and two sisters. Yeah. And he just died. It's interesting. It's interesting when um, killers like this pass away. I don't know how to feel about it, you know? At least with DeFeo, I think we were pretty clear on what he did, you know? On yeah. who we killed and, you know, stuff like that. But then you have these ones that 
you don't have that kind of closure with. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I'm going to, I want to talk about Samuel Little a little bit. And we're going to talk about Samuel Little again, I think, because I'd like to do a whole case on him because it's just so interesting. But he died on December 20th of 2020. And one of the creepiest things about Samuel Little is that he drew portraits of some of the women he killed. So he confessed to 93 murders. They have connected him now to somewhere between 50 and 60 murders and are continuing to try to connect him to more. Uh He didn't go to jail for, well, I mean, he was kind of in and out of jail and prison for a lot of his life for smaller crimes. But but wherever he was arrested, and he just sort of traveled all over the country, uh-huh. living um, homeless a lot and just sort of traveling. And in the, his, tra- his travels, he would just kill a woman and then wander away to the next town or the next state or whatever. and. So although the, he served prison time a few times, no one realized that he was a serial killer this entire yeah. time. And he started murdering in the 70s and didn't go to actual prison until 2014. Wow. It's crazy. But yeah, he's confessed to 93 murders. These I'm showing two pictures if you're watching the video. These are two pictures that he drew with like chalks or whatever of two women that he says he killed that have not been identified. (laughs) So the first one is a woman from Little Rock, Arkansas. And she was, he says, a Hispanic female in her 40s. This is what kills me is that he remembers quite a bit of detail about them. (laughs) Even though many of them, he never knew their names. Yeah. And I mean, they were killed in, lots of different places. He says he either killed her in 1988 or 1996 Uh and that she may have been originally from Phoenix. So then the second one, he believes her name was Ruth. This was also in Little Rock, Arkansas. And um, she was about 40 as well. And this was in 19, no, this was in 1993. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong dang dates. Sorry. There's so many of them. Oh, so um, many. No, so somewhere between 1992 and 1994, he thinks he killed her um, around the Little Rock, Arkansas area. Mm-hmm. So um, he did die. Yes, he died on December 20th. The interesting thing about Samuel Little is that Once he was arrested, then he tried quite hard to help officials identify the women that he had killed. Yeah. He did hundreds and probably thousands of hours of interviews and Mm -hmm. stuff. But I don't know. It's just so crazy to think that that many deaths on one person. It's he's the most prolific serial killer in yeah. in the US. Yes, yeah. JR, we talked about Rhonda Feo. You um you came in a little late. We missed, but we want to say thank you to Bianca for 
giving us a heads yeah. up about that. But I, I just think I think we'll cover Samuel Little um, more in depth at yeah. some point because it's so interesting. But I just wanted to share that with you. There's a thing about Samuel Little. His physicality and his voice and his attitude and demeanor remind me a lot of our grandfather mm-hmm. who was a sex offender and mm-hmm. who did some prison time and ended up having to be locked up in a facility for like criminals with Alzheimer's at the end of his life. Mm-hmm. And Samuel Little reminds me of him, like watching interviews of him, a video of him. It just creeps yeah. me out because it reminds me a lot of him. Yeah. So kind of a weird one. I'm kind I'm, kind of fascinated by him, I guess, because of that. So I think we'll talk about him some more, but yeah, he's another one who died. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when they go because they, they always go, they die with information that we didn't have, you know, you you know, they did, even if they didn't mean to not give it, they still died with information. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, he at least tried. And so much art. Oh, so So much much art. So So weird. Creepy. Yeah. So, so creepy. creepy. Um, but the the crazy part is he killed so many women that he can't even remember them all. Right. Yeah. There's a timeline in this one article um that's that's written by the FBI, actually. It's Vicap. And there's a timeline of his mugshots from 1966 to whatever, um, like, you know, clear up to the point that he was finally arrested and, and convicted in 2014. Yeah. And it's like more than 20 mugshots. Yeah. All across the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's why it's so important that, um, you know, that we now have like all the databases that we right. have and Absolutely. all of the stuff that, that connects up states. Right. Because yeah. people like Samuel Little, just like, you know, we talked about Israel Keys earlier and, you know, it was kind of the same thing. He was just, yeah. um, you know, traveling across so many different states, it was hard to track him. Mm-hmm. Do I think Samuel felt remorse? No, I do not. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever watched um, interviews with him, I don't get yep. remorse out of it at all. It's no. It's a lot about how he was really picked on. Yep. About how he was, he was really the victim. And I feel like he didn't help the FBI because he wanted to help them. I felt like he liked the attention. Right. He was bragging. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't benevolent at all. Just like Israel Keys, not benevolent. You know, he gave up some information and then killed himself with the rest of it. Not benevolent at all. And and I I did not get that from, um, from Samuel Little either. No. Yet again, it's so wild to watch these interviews and hear these people talking about the most unnatural and heinous of things in such a deadpan. I mean, they could be talking about their procedure for mowing the lawn, you know, and yet they're talking about how they hunted and murdered and maybe dismembered someone or, you know, things like that. It's just so weird to see that. It it really shows you what... It really means to be a psychopath or a sociopath, literally yeah. to do not have the same kinds of emotions and empathy that most of us have. It just don't. Yeah. It's just almost like they aren't actually the same species that we are or something, you yeah. know, crazy. And Samuel Little was definitely one of those. Israel Keys was one of those. Yep. 
I really question, you know, if Glenn Maxwell is one of those, if you've seen our cases this week. It's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. That you can participate in the kinds of things that she participated in for all those years Mm -hmm. and still look at herself in the mirror. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can't, I can't get my head around it. I think it's why I'm so fascinated by all of it. You know, it's just the trying to understand it. Like why? And how to prevent it. Like, how do we make sure this stuff doesn't happen? How do we identify people like this before, you know, Samuel Little, who literally killed for 40 years yeah, before he was locked up for good? Crazy. Good question. Yep. It is a good question. And not one we're going to be able to answer tonight. That is for sure. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, we're always trying. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Is Ghislaine, is Ghislaine a social path, sociopath? Is she a sociopath? Uh, I don't know. You know, I'm not sure that's what, how I would say it about Ghislaine Maxwell because I feel like she did everything that she did because of her, um, you know, undying loyalty to Jeffrey Epstein. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it might be a different kind of personality disorder mm-hmm. there. If she I has borderline personality disorder, is, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the real question is, is Glenn Maxwell a pedophile? Right. That's one thing she's not been called in the news much, you know? They no, call her she a, is accused. Polite, but of she's participating. Of, yes, participating. Not yeah. just setting this stuff up, but being a part of it. Many of the girls right. that have accused her are accusing her, not just Jeffrey, of sexually assaulting them. So, and they are girls, teenagers. And Mm -hmm. so that's my question. Is she a pedophile? Right. Right. And it is, you know, a question because it, you know, was she the one initiating all of this? Was she acting on his behest? And if she was acting on his behest, why was she acting on his behest? You know, and there's a lot about her because Mm -hmm. she had a very strong relationship with her father Mm-hmm. He died under suspicious circumstances. He was a very powerful and crooked, um, you know, financier and mm-hmm. media mogul kind of guy. And it was kind of like she went from her dad to Jeffrey, who also yeah. same kind of thing. Jr. says borderline personality disorder. I do question that. I do. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I mean, Jeffrey Epstein, among many things, was probably a narcissist Mm -hmm. as well as a pedophile, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, narcissists and borderlines do have a tendency to run together. So. Yeah. Interesting stuff. You guys, we have talked about some really screwed up people this week, haven't we? (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Wow. Yeah. 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 Definitely. It's all pretty darn hard. Mm hmm. Well, you know, and that's what we have for you this week. So yeah. we will be back tomorrow at 7 p.m. Mountain with the Psychic Hour, as we always yes. are. And, yeah, did yeah. she get pleasure from what she did, Ghislaine Maxwell, right? And I think it's pretty clear yeah. she did, honestly. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow with the Psychic Hour. And then, of course, we will be back next week with our cases for the week and our live streams and you know we're not going anywhere so yeah you guys know it we're true crime paranormal with the psychic sisters have a great night
Take care. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.